welcome to Conversations About Life. Thanks, Esther, for getting together with me. Looking forward to this. So I'll try to introduce you, and then you can just help me out. Okay. So you're um, a part of a pretty large family, and your brother was on the podcast not too long ago, Jonathan. And you're involved with um, like a children's ministry? Yes. And uh, go ahead. I'm actually, vocationally, I'm a missionary. Okay. Um, So not only am I part of the ministry at my church, but I'm also working with other churches to start similar ministries, outreaches to their community, that kind of thing. So okay. yeah, I can get more cool. into that later, but yeah. All right. So that's very near and dear to my heart. Okay. Well, how would you describe yourself to somebody who was just meeting you and you just wanted to tell them who Esther Spilger was? Um, okay. So I am a, I'm the second born of seven kids. I am, I enjoy people a lot. I enjoy more indoor activities than outdoor activities. Uh, Let's see, what else would I describe myself with? I love kids. I love being around them. I love doing things with them. They're a very big part of my life. Um, I enjoy borrowing my friend's children (laughs) as much as I can so that I can be a part of their lives and just be that encouragement. And I enjoy being there for people. I think it, it, yeah, I hope that is kind of what you're going for. Sure. So are you kind of more of an extrovert then? then? Uh, Yes, very much so. Okay. (laughs) Yes. I enjoy people. I enjoy being around them. And I mean, of course, I think everybody eventually like kind of needs to have their downtime and their alone time, but mm-hmm. I definitely am energized by other people. So have you always been like that? Yes. Okay. I remember as a little kid loving to be around other people and thinking that people that would come over to visit my parents were actually there for me. You know, <laughs> I was there to entertain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm pretty much an introvert, but... Um, some people uh, do change a little bit. Like I'm probably not, I'm probably less than an introvert now than I used to be, I think. But Okay, so you enjoy people. I do. Lot. Okay. And uh, that's probably good since you grew up in a large household. <laughs> yes, there's always something going on. Yeah. That's, yes. But tell me more about your family. So my, my dad is a pastor. Um, When I was two, he was the only survivor of a plane crash. And I think that that really set, it kind of defined a lot about our family, our approach to things. Um, I mean, when you have somebody who has burns over two-thirds of their body and survives um, all of that, dealing with all of that, Um, it changes things about the family in a good way. And so that is something that um, I think was a real awesome thing for us. And then um, I was homeschooled. Um, They started when I was in kindergarten. That was interesting because they found out um, when I was, when I started that I, 
I thought that I couldn't learn, but um, actually what we found out is that I have some learning disabilities. I've got dyslexia and dysgraphia, and so that was an interesting path to walk down, getting to learn how to deal with that and be able to function normally, I put that in air quotes, because in a world where most people aren't like that, you have to be able to function the way you need to to be able to communicate with them even though you communicate differently. So that was fun, Um, and I'm glad that I got to walk down that path. Um, Let's see, my family, I have... I have... There's seven of us kids. Um, Three of us are in full-time ministry, um, including myself. My oldest sister is a missionary to Africa. And then I've got a brother, Jonathan, one you interviewed uh, or talked to. Um, He's a pastor. And then I have a nurse that's a sister and a mechanic that's a brother. And I've got a sister who is... I don't know, she's probably the most organized individual I have ever met. (laughs) And so she's a personal assistant to um, a guy who's in charge of Phil Schlafly Eagles. So she's, go Joe, she's amazing. And then um, I have a brother who is an opera singer and teaches music at a Christian college. Oh, wow. So they're very diverse family, but Mm -hmm. very cool. And I've got eight nieces and nephews. Um, four of each, and yeah. And how many people are in your household now, like at home? There is six of us there right now. I had actually moved out, and then the house that I was living in, my sister and her family from Africa needed, and so they're living there right now, and so I am with my parents right now, but anyway, and they're stuck here in the States because of COVID. Yeah. So... So what's your home life like, for example, in in the evenings when you guys are just hanging out and stuff? Are any things that you all like to do together? Or what's the atmosphere like? It's very helpful. Um, That's one of the things that I really actually missed when I wasn't living at home. Because you have, like... Everybody's there and they're willing to assist you in what you're working on right then if you need it. Um, for example, I'll be doing, a, I do wedding cakes. I, and that's something that I enjoy doing for people. And um, they'll assist me in putting things together or moving things around or cleaning up. That's a huge thing. And when you're living by yourself, you don't get that. But our evenings, um, we'll watch something together. Typically, though, every night we get together and we have what we call family Bible reading. And that, I think, is probably my favorite time of day because we get to sit there and we read the Word together and then we discuss it together and just share our thoughts and what we got from the passage. And my dad typically asks a question and we discuss that and... It could go down some really wacky roads, but we're typically looking up words and we're doing studies and we're, I don't know, exploring other passages that relate to it and exploring thoughts that we see and how it relates to the church and just, I don't know, it's just a really cool, awesome experience to have that every day. Yeah. Um, For our family... 
like um, modern technology has kind of affected it somewhat and caused us to be a little more individualized, I guess. Um, you know, different people are yeah. kind of like caught up on their phones and um, we've lost some of that group atmosphere and interaction and, and stuff like that. Has that affected your family? Or if not, then how did you guys um, work that out? Well, okay. And my family is going to probably listen to this and be like, Esther, nah, but we're all very nosy. So we like to be, we like to know what's going on in each other's lives and we like to be a part of each other's lives. And so even though we're on our phones, we're always listening to what's going on around us. Wait, wait, wait. And then, you know, you're in the moment, you're listening, you're like, wait, 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 what did you just say? And make them repeat it because you weren't really paying attention and then you're a part of the conversation then. So it happens. Mm -hmm. Like there is times like we're, I don't know, on our phones, some playing games and stuff like that, but we are pretty much involved with each other in the room too. And outside of the room, because we all talk to each other. Like I talked to every single one of my siblings yesterday. So, you know, yeah. So, um, you know, that helpfulness and wanting to help people, what contributes to that? Like, how did, was there anything, like, intentional that you all did to um, cultivate that kind of um, attitudes toward one another? Or um, is it just what it is and you don't know know what contributed to it so much? So, my parents... Being in ministry, we saw a lot of people come and go in our lives. Mm-hmm. And the seven of us were always left. And we realized that you can have friends, and I've got really awesome friends. And I think all of my siblings can say the same thing that God has given us and blessed us with some really amazing friends. But the six other people that have always been in my life are my other siblings. And so to that's become a focus. My parents are like, you know, you can depend on others, but the people who are always going to be there are your siblings. So develop that relationship. And so we've really worked at that. Um, my oldest sister really took that to heart really took that to heart when she was a teenager and really showed all of us what that looked like. And Mm -hmm. I think we just sort of, I took it up from her and made it my own. And then, you know, my younger sister, Naomi, she did the same. And then Paul and all of us in our own way have taken that up ourselves and just created that. And then we have a mom who is probably one of the biggest servants I've ever met and so she's emulated that for us all of our life too so anyway yeah um you mentioned being glad for walking that this path or that path so I guess like you see the good side in trials that you guys have gone through like, um, like, what kind of good has come out of any particular trials that you know you're thinking of? Um, okay, so when I was six and I started school, uh, my sister, older sister, knew how to read before she even started kindergarten, and then I came along, and 
the letters would move and my parents didn't understand that when I would try to tell them that it wouldn't work and then it just it was so frustrating and I remember when I was in sixth grade and my dad took us on a fishing trip and he had decided on that fishing trip that he was going to be the one that told me about what they had found after research and um because back then there wasn't a lot of information I'm 42 you know you just don't there wasn't a lot of information about that back then and so he um told me you know this is what's wrong and I remember the sense of relief but then I also remember um they worked with me a lot on learning how to learn in with that and I found since then that that was actually a gift that God gave me because when you have dyslexia and dysgraphia it's not in a box like everybody else you you think of the world as just this endless possibilities of things that could happen and do and be and and it's just it's a freeing thing instead of a bondage thing and so it was a gift that God gave me because I use it now in the ministry I don't think about, oh, well, this is the box that you need to be doing ministry in. I think, or you could do, or, hey, you know what, we could try. Hey, have you ever thought of, you know, it can be overwhelming for people. But, you know, that's that's the gift that God gave me by doing that. So, yeah, a man can look at it as, wow, that's a big thing to have to deal with as a six-year-old. But I can look at it and say, no, he gave me a gift by doing this because I get to see the world differently than you and everybody else. And, you know, unless you have the gift that I have and then we're the cool people, you know. So, yeah. So there's like um, a positive to things such as that. Yes. there, And that's the thing. God works everything for good. Um, my dad would go and speak to um, Burns Recovery groups. And the, he, he always liked to take his chocolate chip cookie talk with him. Because when you look at it, the life takes everything to make it to be what God wants it to be. Like, and, but he takes all of it that life gives you and makes it good. And the illustration is... Nobody likes to eat flour. You know, you're not going to sit there with a bowl of raw flour and just start spooning it in. And most people don't eat raw eggs. There's typically at least one person in every group that does. But, and vanilla. That stuff is just not... Anyway. But yet, when you put all of that together and you mix it together, it is amazingly yummy. And our life is exactly the same. Sometimes we look at the things that God puts into it and it's blah. But in the end, it turns out to be this amazing, wonderful thing that he's created because in his perfect, infinite knowledge, he knew that we needed that in our life to be who he wants us to be and to do what he wants us to do. So that's the philosophy that I have adopted since... Because I would go with Dad. I would bake the chocolate chip cookies and pass it out while he was doing his talk. Mm-hmm. And so I heard it quite a few times. And so it, I just kind of adopted it as my own. So you and your siblings, you know, you grew up in a Christian environment. Mm-hmm. Um, did you all just naturally gravitate toward that and make it your own? Or was there 
resistance for some of you all? Or, you know, what was that like? Well, first of all, we were not, we were raised in a Christian home, but we were always told, you're not doing this because you're a pastor's kid. You're doing this because you're a Spilger. And this is what we do. And you're in the Ken Spilger family, and as a family, we're going, we get to do this. And the philosophy of we get to do this has been something that has been part of our life for always. I remember one time, um, a bunch of our friends were bragging about the fact that they didn't have to go to church. And you always have to go to church, and we never have, we don't have to go to church. We can stay home. But, you know, I'm like, Dad, so-and-so said that we don't have to go to church. They don't have to go to church, I mean. And I was like... <laughs> Do we have to go to church? And my dad's like, no, you don't have to go to church. And I remember looking at my older sister, and I was like, Anna, dad said that we don't have to go to church. And he's like, and then, of course, he followed it up with, no, you get to. And that whole philosophy has permeated every part of our life. We don't have to do this service. We get to because we are a part of God's family. It's something that he's asked us to do. It's something that is a privilege. So we get to do this. We get to serve each other. We get to help as a family. We get to. That whole positive spin has been something that has been just, I guess, ingrained into me. And I think a lot of my other siblings, too. Another thing is, is that mom talked with all, all of us at different times in our life. Somebody, she was, my mom was in a um, pastor's family as well. Our ministry home, because her dad was a missionary for a while, and then he was a pastor for a while, and then he started a Bible Institute, and my grandpa was a very brilliant man. Anyway, she was pulled aside in high school by someone, and they said, you have the power to make or break your dad's ministry and showed from scripture how that that is true and that was something that I took to heart I think a lot of us took to heart we realized that we saw how effective my dad's ministry was and we didn't want to hinder that we didn't want to get in the way because he did so much for us we didn't we wanted to bless him like he was blessing us and then also um, we were raised in a home where Everything that we did, we were brought back to Jesus. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What is the mind of Christ? Um, how are we going to have the mind of Christ in this situation? And just that philosophy that everything that we need for life and for godliness is in his word and, and just brought back to his word and memorized his word and read his word and were encouraged to do that. And so we each one had a first generation Christianity that we chose to have. And some of us, yeah, I have some siblings who took the long path to get there. Um, but at the same time, they are serving God and they are serving him well because they chose to. And my parents loved them through that. Hmm. And that I, I think that's the other thing. We had a lot of acceptance and love. We could tell my parents anything and they would accept us anyway and love us anyway and help us deal with it anyway even though we felt like they shouldn't love us anymore <laughs> you know we're like oh I'm the worst person ever and they're like no you're saved and that is forgiven 
and you have the power to be able to walk in freedom and that was just yeah so yeah so you were mentioning I think it was your mom who someone uh, talked with her and said she had like a big impact on her dad's ministry right so like what what were they referring to or you know um, it's it says in um, it's first or second Timothy or Titus and for right now I can't remember for the life of me but it talks about what the qualific I think it's first Timothy the qualifications of a pastor okay and he keeps his own house well and mm-hmm. his children are he rules his children well or something like that, how his children function. And using that as this is what we need to strive to be, not because of what other people are seeing or what other people, the pressure that they're putting on you, but because the Word of God has said that this is what we need to do. And if we don't meet up that qualification, then that affects our dad's qualification of being able to be a pastor. Right, okay. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you're a very positive person, like, and um, I try to be. So, um, like, is that just always with you? Does it just come easy for you? It just, or do you have to do something to stay positive and encouraged? Or, um, you know, what's what's it like for you? There are days when I am just as down as everybody else, but this year. Um, God has put me on an interesting path. Um, and this is going to be a long road to get to the answer. But last November, my sister-in-law's mom talked to me about, well, I talked to her actually about doing a weight loss program. And, um, that I thought was just to help me lose weight. And, um, I needed to lose at that time about 150 pounds. And that's a lot to have to lose. And I um, went, started that in January. But as I was learning more about the program, I realized this is not about just losing weight. It's about your whole person. And one of that, one of those facets is being, they call it mindfulness. But I like to think about it as having the mind of Christ. And part of that is keeping um, the... Yourself above the drama line. They talk about a drama line, and when you drop down, you allow yourself to really get into some negative thinking. But yet, they also teach you to use this, it's called stop, challenge, choose, where you stop and you think about what is going on. Challenge it is this, and I like to use Philippians um, 4 8. Uh, not, yeah. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And taking that thought captive and saying, is this lining up with what God says I'm allowed to think about? And if it's no, it's gone. It's got to be gone because it's not following what God says to do. And doing that this year, forcing myself to choose to think God's way has helped me so much to where I can actually be positive. I, in fact, yesterday there was a couple of times when different things happened and it was like, wait a second, 
I am letting myself slide down into a place that I don't want to get to. Why? And challenging that and saying, no, 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 I'm going to choose to do this, this way. And making that choice because I can make the choice. And so I guess this year that has really been what has really helped me be able to be in that positive place, be in, keep positive. I do tend to see things as glass half full most of the time, but I am a spilger and we do really get good at, um, glass half empty as well sometimes. So yeah, it depends on the day. So, um, a couple of things and just listening to you. Um, so like choosing to think like along the lines of, you know, biblical thinking as we're instructed mm-hmm. to do, that's something that's been, um, like has made a big difference. So it's like been a change and you've learned just how to, I guess it's kind of like a discipline, how to discipline yourself in that way. Is that what it is? Yes. And making yourself Okay, so I've been taught that all of my life, but having that step-by-step stop, take a breath, think about what I'm thinking about. Hmm. Is that what I'm supposed to be thinking about? And then making the choice and making a conscious choice because we do have that power as believers to take those thoughts captive. And we're told to, you know, so... Yeah, making doing that in obedience to God. And is that was that just kind of a sudden realization, and you just started doing that, or is it like um, something that you slip up on and you have to keep working at? And oh yes, okay. I have to work on it constantly. But now that I have the tools, and part of what this program does is makes these habits step by step by step. And so it's just little things. And I've chose to make sure that I am, how do I put this? And it's not, sometimes I struggle and I will admit that, but making it to where I'm not just letting myself just slide and slide and slide down that depression, but where I've taught myself to think about it and practice it and and practice it and practice it to where it's a habit now more than what it has ever been in my life. I still have to practice it. And it's going to be a life that I practice it. It's not just a couple months that I practice it. And I'm perfect now. It's going to be a lifetime. And I know that. But I have a tool now that I can use that's going to help me too, which will help. So I can see how that kind of fits with what people talk about with mindfulness, because mindfulness is kind of like, instead of just being caught up in your head, it's like stepping back and just kind of examining your thoughts a little bit and um, being more of an observer. And uh, so that kind of fits with what you're talking about. I can see that. And some people are into like, I mean, it's kind of a popular thing. What has been for a little while now? Yes. Like... Meditation, where you're just kind of um, uh, observing yourself, your your breath, um, mm-hmm. um, rather than um, just always thinking about like 
the next thing or whatever, you know, Yes. and stuff like that. So, and I don't do the meditation like they do. I try to have some sort of scripture readily available in my mind to meditate on that because that automatically will pull you away from that negativity and bring you back to the mind of Christ. So, I mean, it's, he is called the word. So, you know, that definitely will help you have the mind of Christ there. So as far as your scripture that you have memorized, um, is that from when you were young, when it's easy to memorize, or are you still memorizing scripture? Scripture memory is what got me through school. Okay. Um, Honestly, that was what made it to where I could actually finish high school and college. Um, But then... I kind of got away from it a little bit, and I'm really working at bringing that back. Um, There's a lady that I disciple, and she and I are working together to help build that habit into our lives. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I was looking at your Facebook profile just Mm -hmm. to kind of learn a little bit more about you before this, and I noticed, like, on your political view, it's like you call yourself ultra-conservative. Okay. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> I should probably go look at that. <laughs> okay, so is that how you would think of yourself? And, um, and do you ha- is there anything particular that you mean by that? Or is it more of just saying you're conservative and you're really conservative? You really feel like, um, that you know, that's your mindset when it comes to um, government, politics, I- and so forth. I am probably extremely conservative. Like, I, and that is one area where I do tend to see things fairly black and white. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's bad or good, but I think my biggest thing is life and um, the, what it says that um, we all have this inalienable rights. Um, and I think that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness should be for everybody. And um, including the unborn, one of the things that has been big for me this year has been um, learning more about human trafficking and those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, That to me is a huge issue that our country has. um, And that's one of the fastest growing businesses I guess um, that that's a problem and it needs to be spoken about more Hmm. I think it needs to be shouted from the rooftops and it needs to be brought out to the light where people examine it Um, but I mean I don't know the thing is though is that I can see people's views like I can listen to other people's thoughts on stuff and I'm not going to be like oh my word you wicked heathen sinner I I can listen to them and I can hear it and I can accept them even if they don't agree with me um and then allow the Holy Spirit to change them that that probably but I know what I need to believe I know what I need to think based on what the Holy Spirit has convicted me of and so I know that I have to hold that very strongly. And so I do. And I don't change for what other people said or do or believe. It's, I know what the Holy Spirit has convicted me to believe. And so I just hold to that. 
You know, concerning human trafficking, so I hear people talk about it, like yourself, and I've heard other people talk about it um, or mention it, but it's kind of like an invisible thing, it seems. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, like for me, I just think, well, it's something, um, you know, to care about because if if it's happening, you know, it's an awful thing, and we ought to do what we could to combat it, but it's kind of... Because it is kind of invisible, and it's hard, you know, and, and it, you think, well, okay, what am I going to do? Um, I don't know. I guess one thing would be just to educate myself more, mm-hmm. but um, it's hard to know at this point, from what I know about it, it's hard to know any kind of concrete thing that I could do that could help. Do you have any thoughts about um, that? One, there's an organization that... Um, they put a lot of their own money into it, and it's a lot of retired military, CIA, FBI, those kind of people that work on it. Um, and I can look it up here. Oh, wait, no. Anyway, it is... I actually have... If you look up my Facebook page, um, it is Operation Underground Railroad, Okay. And that's one of the organizations that um, is doing a lot for it. Um, that's why I made it a way to donate for my birthday because I felt like um, they're actually doing something. And the money that they get, they actually use it for going and helping rescue these kids. And they're rescuing the kids, but they're not just rescuing the kids. They're going after the people who are cap, um, having them in captivity. And so the captors are being brought to justice. And that, to me, is where it needs to be. <laughs> you know, get the people who are actually doing this. Mm-hmm. There, nobody should be bought or sold. That's wrong. And period there there's period i mean I, there's just nothing else you can say about it it's wrong and so that yeah so what is what is it is it does this happen just out in plain sight um there was a ring um down in florida by where my sister lives and um actually at the store she sent me this article several years ago um well no this post that somebody put on Facebook, uh, I think that she knew, if I remember correctly, it's been a few years, um, where they were actually trying to get this woman to take her hands off of her cart to where they could kidnap her daughter in the store. Hmm. And they were in nondescript enough clothes that they could have gotten out without anybody noticing them Hmm. with this little girl. Mm -hmm. And so there are rings of people, they just watch for a parent to not pay attention fully to their kid or, you know, just some crazy moment where a wicked person can take advantage of somebody mm-hmm. and do wrong. And that's bottom line what's happening is they're taking advantage of people and doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And some, I guess some people are sold as well. Um, into it, which I think is disgusting. Um, 
I don't know as much as I would like, and I haven't let myself go down that road as much because I don't want it to mess with my mind. So that's the reason why I know that these people know what the ick is that they're dealing with, and I know that I can get behind an organization like this. <laughs> so, you know, even if we just get behind organizations that are doing good and actually using the money appropriately um, to do something about it, that right there is a big help, mm-hmm. you know. So you work with a lot of kids through um, a program that, you know, through your church called Victory Club. Yes. And um, it seems um, pretty neat just thinking of all of these kids and that they are each connected to a family. Yes. And, and that's, you know, there's an opportunity there to impact a family as well. Um, and you just never know what could happen in a child's life because of this influence yes. um, that might not come to fruition for years and years later. <laughs> yes, so true. Yeah. When I was, um, so I was a pretty rebellious young guy in my teenage years and stuff, but there was a fella, a young man, who paid attention to us boys at church, and he, it was just kindness, you know, playing mm-hmm. games with us and stuff. So when I kind of reached the end of my rope, I did turn to God, asking God to save me from what I had become, um, and I think I kind of contribute um, that to that young man who um, loved us and it gave um, it put something in my head that made uh, fa- Christianity favorable like so mm-hmm. without that when I reached the end of my rope and was just disgusted with what I had become you know I don't know you know there's different options there which way to turn you know yeah and I turned that way and you know I, I think his influence had a part in it of it so you just never know what might happen but um well what are these kids like and what are their families like and are you able to connect with the families through the kids or um or just you know what's going on what are what are they like well the kids are amazing yeah um in fact we have um okay so i work with the youngest kids at victory club and they are hilarious like on Sunday night our three little troublemakers and again I put that in air quotes because I don't think that any kid is a bad kid I think that sometimes they make bad choices that's my philosophy but anyway so the three of them were sitting on the front row during large group time and they were feeding off of each other through the whole large group they should have all lost their wristbands but only one of them did anyway so, I mean, they're always busy. They're always fun. They always say the craziest, funniest, adorablest things. I know adorablest isn't a word, but I just made it one, so we're moving on. But they just, they're so much fun. And just being able to have that relationship with them. Um, I don't, I'm not on the buses. Mm-hmm. So I don't have that much of a relationship with the parents as much as I would like to Mm -hmm. and part of that is because I'm a missionary I'm not there all of the time Um, so I can't be given that responsibility because I can't fulfill the responsibility because I have other responsibilities Mm -hmm. but the ones that I do get to interact with it's just such a blessing to be able to get to know them and to see Mm -hmm. how much they're working and they're trying 
and they want their kids to have a better life. And that's one of the reasons why they're wanting us to be a part of their kids' lives is because they want something better for their kids. And so working with them in that area and... I mean, it's fun to watch. Like, we just, in the last few months, we've seen three brothers who have been coming to church for a while. All three of them are saved. So now we're using that as an inroad to talk to their mom and and to build that relationship even more with the mom and invite her more to things to where she can be a part of it. And, you know, and we're watching them grow and make decisions that are awesome. The oldest keeps inviting his friends to church that doesn't happen in teenagers very often and so I'm thinking I'm, I'm knowing that the mom is seeing differences in our kids and she's going to be asking questions and it's going to happen we have another lady who comes to our church every week pretty much and she is she's saved because she told us that her grandkids needed a little bit of Jesus and then she came with them, and she's the one that got Jesus. So, you know, I mean, you just never know how God's going to work. But by being there, being a part of their life, ministering to them, encouraging them, loving on them, you're giving them an opportunity to see Jesus in a real way instead of just having religion shoved down their throat. Hmm. Religion doesn't change. Relationship does, and that's what we were wanting to show them. So... You've got a lot of, we've got this girl that comes to church and she knows every kid's name. She knows every parent's name. Sometimes she doesn't have anybody from her route that comes, but she goes on her visitation every time and visits with the parents and visits with the kids and ministers to them and shows them God's love. And that is just as important. On her visitation, what's that? That's when they're... That's what we've started calling it. It's actually her route where she's supposed to be picking up kids oh, to bring them to okay. the club. But sometimes it doesn't happen. My dad is her driver, and so he's watching this, and he's like, she's probably ministering to those people in a better way than anybody ever has. Even though they might not come, she's ministering to them more than she even realizes. And so having that attitude that's prevalent is in the group is just awe-inspiring I, I hmm. that's the only way to describe it you know we've got a really great group of people working in that organization yeah so a part of what you do is you help other churches reach out to kids and mm-hmm. have a kids ministry too now our church is kind of in suburbia mm-hmm. and it seems like that's um it seems like that could be tougher and you might know about how to how to do this um but like in in suburbia it's like everyone just stays to themselves, especially the parents, you know, like it, they're just not out. They're just, they drive their car into their their garage, you know, and then they drive out when it's time to go to work again. But um, in the city, um, I don't know how it is now, but it, like in where we live, the main feature on the house is like that big garage door, you know, whereas in city houses, a lot of times it's the porch and uh-huh. people used to hang out on the porch and maybe they still do more in urban areas but um so what what's different what are the differences if you're helping a church reach out to kids and it's in like that kind of a suburban area are there different challenges or what's it like 
So every area is different. Yeah. You have your urban, you have your rural, and you have your suburban. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of... Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. My heart is in the urban and the rural areas because I feel like a lot of churches forget about those areas, but they are the ones that are most prevalently needed in our country right now. We've kind of let them go because it's hard. And yet at the same time, we're losing our country. We're less than one generation away from being a godless society because we're not reaching those areas, specifically the urban areas with the gospel. The rural and the urban areas, though, are the biggest areas where you've got um, single-parent homes, according to research. Mm -hmm. So that is another big area in my heart, the single-parent homes. Um, In fact, we just did a um, class on that earlier this year. It was really amazing. Hmm. And just being able to help with that. And I'm doing some more studying on um, poverty and the effects of poverty and what causes it and some things like that. I'm reading a couple of books on that right now. Um, I'm not an expert by any means, and I probably just said more than I actually know. But what I'm finding is that poverty is caused by a lack of resources, not just money, but relationship, education, um, people in your life that can help you, um, just infrastructure. That infrastructure in your life is broken down. It's not just a number in the bank. I'm a missionary. I'm not fully funded yet. But I've been able to make it, one, because God has provided, and two, because I have an infrastructure of people who have helped me. A lot of kids can't say that. They don't have an infrastructure of people that can help them. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> helping them learn how to build that. Helping them be able to speak the language of a, and I use this word and I hate it, a higher class of people instead of lower poverty level, but like middle class. There's a different language that's spoken, helping them be able to not just understand it, but be able to speak it to where they can elevate themselves to that. Mm-hmm. That is, somebody needs to come alongside them and help them maneuver through that. And so that's something that I believe God has given the church to do. We are to be that light in the society. We are to be that group of people that's supposed to be there for them. We're supposed to show Christ. Jesus didn't just associate. In fact, he rarely associated with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the and I I like air quotes, apparently. um, Because I'm putting these in air quotes. The religious leaders of his day. They were supposed to be the religious leaders. But they weren't. They were not spreading God's truth to their people. They were putting them in bondage by shoving all of these rules on them. And so instead of being that person, showing them the light of Christ to where they can live in that freedom that Christ can give them through his word, through making wise decisions, through all of that. Um, Anyway. So that um, sounds like it's not a program. That just sounds like a lot of people being involved with other people in their lives. Um, but the problem is, is that the church for a while closed themselves off because they didn't want the world to affect themselves. I'm just going to talk about your kids for a second um, because I've gotten to know them. 
your kids are extremely unique. And I'm not saying that in a, they're weird. I'm saying they're awesome because they're willing to minister to people no matter who they are and what they do, where they are. If you're down and out, that's their favorite person to reach, to work with, to be with. And the love of Christ just pours out of every single one of them that I've been around. That's not normal. That, to me, I watch them and I'm like, those parents did something right. That's how my parents raised us, to have that attitude, to have that desire to serve. And that's what I want to see more of in the church. And sometimes it's just churches don't know what to do. I'm working with the church right now. They're our church, you've been to our church, it's in the middle of nowhere. Like, it's, we have to drive five minutes from any of the neighborhoods we're working in to get to the church. Mm-hmm. But yet we're reaching the church. We're growing our church through reaching the ministry, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but when you're right in the middle of neighborhoods, those that's your mission field right there. That's where you should be shining your light. Mm-hmm. And helping them be able to think of creative ways to be able to reach into that neighborhood, to be able to be that light to the people that are there, to be able to put Christ forward in the lives of people without shoving it down their throats. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? To love them to Jesus. That's what I'm wanting to show, to help them see, to help them understand Sometimes it's through programs that your church has. Sometimes it's through just building a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So just helping them be able to maneuver that through. So suburbia is going to be a different way of doing it. Um, but that church is going to have to use the resources that that church has to reach that community in the way that God has called them to do. And every church is unique. Every church, I believe, is its own organism um, designed by Christ. They might be a part of a, you know, I don't know what your, if your church, our church is independent or just by ourselves. Um, I don't know about your church, but. Ours is Southern Baptist. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. But, um, so you have churches that are like that too, and they have programs that are available that work when you work them. They work. Mm-hmm. But then. I want to come in and help the church. A lot of churches have Awana, or a lot of churches mm-hmm. have, and they're really great programs. But what falls is that bridge of getting the kids that you're reaching moved into the church. Mm-hmm. And then reaching the families of those kids that you're ministering to and, and getting them into the church too. Mm-hmm. And I'm being trained. Um, I've got a mentor who has done this for years and he's working with me on it. Um, I have a lot of ideas. Um, and wanting to implement them. They're working in my church. Um, but getting them to work in other churches, it requires a church that's willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. And I think that right there is the key, is the church willing to do the work. It's not a short game that I'm wanting to play. It's the long game. But it's the game that will actually bear fruit that remains. And that's what I want to see, is fruit that remains, a culture that is changed because Christ changed it. So, yeah. yes, I'm political. Back to that. But at the same time, I see that 
it's not the government that's going to change things. It's the church that has to change things because God set up three institutions, the family, the government, and the church. And we all have to do our job to be able to have a functioning society. And the church needs to do its job. Yeah, I'm a little passionate about that, I guess. (laughs) Um, So, Jenny told me you grew up in Glasgow Village? I did. Okay. And she said that's kind of, uh, it's an area like what, similar to the area you're ministering to right now, right? Actually, that is one of the two neighborhoods that we're ministering in. Yeah. All right. So, so you know firsthand, I guess, what, um, you know, these families are like and their lifestyle and so forth. Um, and so what's that like living in that kind of an area? For, for example, um, like if, if I was thinking of like moving into that type of area, mm-hmm. I mean, there's areas that you could move into like that. Mm-hmm. And I would think, well, that's really kind of um, Christ-like in a sense that he left his home and he moved into, you know, earth. Uh-huh. Um, but then there's the other thoughts about like... Uh, well, I would be taking my family there, and it's like, what if something happened to my kids or this? And, um, uh, you know, um, what about living in a place where it's really not safe to walk in the evenings on the street or something like that? I don't know. But do you have any thoughts <laughs> about, you know, um, that type of um, environment and what it's like and just living there and the people and so forth? So... I grew up in Glasgow, but we moved out when I was 25, and it's kind of spread out, and the back areas had changed a lot, but we didn't really move out of it because the area was changing. We moved out because God provided a bigger house that we needed. It was 900 square feet that the house was that we were living in, and mm-hmm. it was a little cramped, and my right. brothers were, you know growing up and they needed more space and they were had this like little cracker box bedroom and you know they were on top of each other basically and we needed right. a bigger house so when God provided the bigger house it was a blessing because of that but our heart has always been there um, we've watched it change we've watched it go down um, and that was heart-wrenching to watch that because it was choices that people were making and that's um and the lifestyle that was forced upon them, too. Um, and I'm not going to go down that road because that will take me down a different road. People moving into that area, I I don't feel unsafe there. Um, when you... I, I guess I've, I've lived there my whole life in North County. Um, I am definitely a North County girl. I don't... I'm planning to buy a house in North County. <laughs> so... I um, I love it up there. That's my home. I don't feel unsafe. Sure, there's theft. Sure, sometimes we hear gunshots, but half the time it's because people are practicing in the fields around us too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there can be bad things that happen, but bad things happen everywhere. And I lit work and have God with me and serve a God who can take care of me anywhere. Um, I don't, I don't feel, I don't know. I don't feel unsafe there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
everybody in North County looks out for each other. Mm-hmm. You, um, you get warned about things like, hey, you know, that house isn't, just stay away from that house. You know, they'll tell you that. Or you, I'll have people tell me sometimes, <laughs> yeah, you probably shouldn't be walking right now. You should go home. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. You know, and everybody just kind of takes care of each other. I was walking the other day and there's this house close to our house that looks like an old school house that's been turned into a house instead of a schoolhouse and it was this barn red and it was just awful. Anyway, and they painted it this really pretty blue and they were the people who bought it were there and I was like, "Hey, love that. You guys moved in." Yeah, wow, I love the house. Did you guys choose the color? I just had this conversation about their house. Most suburbia doesn't have that, mm-hmm. but North County does. Mm-hmm. Like, you just talk to people. Like, mm-hmm. you just yeah. talk to people. In Walmart, you make friends, and, you know, like, you go to Schnooks, and their life is there. You know, you just, I don't know. It's just, that's the culture. You know, everybody's friendly and helpful and yeah now is that north county or that area glasgow village is that different than like north city like is north city a a worse place or more dangerous place or i don't know okay i don't spend a lot of time in the city um probably i know a lot of people so how it works there's two neighborhoods that we work in Mm -hmm. so people like to move out of the city and they move into glasgow village okay and then they move from glasgow village to spanish lake and then they move from Spanish Lake to Florissant, and that's how they move up. It's a progression up. Yes, okay. and that's that's how they're that's so, their goals. So North City is kind of like the lower part. Yeah, so right. that's what they're wanting to get out of, and then they get into yeah. the Glasgow Village area, and then they get into the Spanish Lake area. So, or not the Spanish Lake area, but the yeah, the Spanish Lake area, and then the Florissant area. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. In. Um, you know, in our culture right now, um, the whole idea of racism is like a, just a hot topic right now. So do you have any thoughts about um, just everything going on with just the uprise about it? And um, for, for example, um, from my perspective, I, um, so I didn't think that racism was hardly a thing. Now there's like all kinds of um, I know it has been in our history and I um, think that um, the way things are now might have roots um, that you know involve racism but um, as far as just people being treated fairly you know I've thought of it as like well there's equal opportunity but um then again, there's the other way of looking at it, that if someone is in that lower, real low class, it's kind of hard to break out of that, you know. So there's there's that aspect, too. Um, but do you have any thoughts about just um, this whole thing going on, the racism and um, just the current climate in our country? Sure. First off, about the class. Okay. It's not just um, African Americans that are in that lower Okay. A poverty level. Um, there is a lot of Hispanics and even whites that are in that. And a lot of it is based on not money, but mentality. 
and um, education, and there's so many different facets to that. So that is a systemic issue that is generational and can be broken, but it takes a lot of work. Hmm. Um, so that that's a separate issue, but I just wanted to say sure. that. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, um, I have a lot of thoughts about the whole race thing. Um, I know that there are issues and I, I know that there are issues on both sides and I think that's the thing. I can see both sides of the issues. I can see how um, young men are treated like they're guilty before they've even been proven guilty. Um, but then half the time they're acting like they're guilty too. It happens at church regularly. <laughs> and so... Um, but yet at the same time, that I think is a bit of a systemic issue, but it's because of history and we're taught history repeats itself because it does. And so there's a caution there in people, but I think that we have locked people in as well and we're not allowing them to break free of a stigma that we have put on them too so I don't know I can see both sides but honestly I feel that I feel like everybody has clumped everybody into a group if you are this way and if you look this way then you are this and if you are this way and you look this way then you are this and there's no way to break out of that in people's minds. And both sides are doing it mm-hmm. instead of allowing people to just be people. And um, I taught school for three years. That was an enlightening experience when you've got this room full of kids. And, you know, it doesn't matter what color of skin they are. They all disobey. They all obey. They all learn. They all don't learn. They all have good days they all have bad days they're just kids and I think if we just were able to look at them as just people they're going to have good days they're going to have bad days they're going to struggle they're going to do dumb things they're going to make bad choices they're going to make good choices they need encouragement they might do something that they need to be locked up for but taking the emotion out of it and looking at it as fact I think there is going to be emotion and I get it but if we can look at it more in a fact way, I think that could help. Um, I don't think that burning cities is going to help anybody. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to act- actually hinder people's causes. Um, I don't know. I- I'd like to do more research on Martin Luther King Jr. I think that man had some ideas that were revolutionary, and um, I don't know why God took him. Um, why allowed, God allowed him to die when he did. Um, I think that he could have brought a lot of peace. Um, I think Abraham Lincoln had some ideas that would have really helped this in our nation as well. And yet, again, God allowed him to be taken, and I don't understand that either. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. But I know that this is something that shouldn't be because God created one race, the human race, and we are all... You know, he created Adam and he created Eve and we're all from them mm-hmm. until Noah and then we're all from Noah. 
you know? So that, I think, if we can look at it that way, we're not separate. We are human, human, and we should be looking at each other as equal humans. Mm -hmm. That's going to bring healing, no matter what side of the issue you look at. So, and I know that a lot of people are like, oh my word, that's, you know, both sides would have issues with that. So, and I, and I know that, yeah. but. You know, what you're, you were saying about st- stereotyping people, like this, seeing people as a part of a group based on what they look like rather than, mm-hmm. and then judging them. Um, and um, yeah, that does seem, seem like a problem. It could happen, and it's not just a race issue. It could happen based on how someone's dressed or their job mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. or the car that they're driving. And, um, and you can see how it kind of happens because it's like a, a shortcut. You know? um, you're dealing with somebody and you don't know them. Well, you, you, ba- you make assumptions and the assumptions are not always correct, and sometimes it can be a, create a bad situation. For example, I have an uncle. He would wear his clothes until they would fall apart. He always looked like he was poor, poorer than dirt, okay? But the man is probably worth more than everybody else in our family put together, mm-hmm. you know, because of how he chose to live. Mm-hmm. But if you look at him from the outside, you'd be like, oh, my word. I don't, oh, my, okay, I don't want to associate with him. He's, you know, whatever. But if you knew him, then you'd be like, oh, I want him to be my best friend. He mm-hmm. might will me something someday, you know. Not that I care about that, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just saying people assume based on how you look, mm-hmm. how much you're worth or what you do or all of that instead of seeing... Right who you actually are Mm -hmm. you know and that's really important we've got a young man who's coming to church right now who he feels like his only life ambition can be somebody who sells drugs Mm -hmm. and he just assumes that he's going to end up in jail and stuff like that and that is heartbreaking to me that that is how he sees himself Mm -hmm. and nobody should see themselves that way Mm-hmm. They should be able to see hope and be and feel loved and feel like they can dream and, and do things, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, something I was wanting to bring up is um, Ginny said you have a life coach. And so... I do. How is that for you? Is that helpful? Do you like that? What's that mean, you know... Is it like a is it a professional person yes. that you hire and so forth? Yes. Okay. So I hired her. Okay. So I was working with an organization to help me with um, getting fully funded, and um, she was that per- my coach through that. And it got to the place where I knew in the ministry I needed to actually do the ministry for the for a while before I, I could get fully funded. And I talked to her about it, and she had just gone through life coaching training, and I knew I needed more help investing in myself and building some skills and abilities before I could go do fundraising. And so we were talking about it one day, and she's like, I shouldn't be having this conversation with you. And I'm like, what? And so she's like, what about doing this instead? And I'm like, yes, that is exactly what I need. 
So we've worked through several different books, working through some things that I need to deal with, um, coaching, counseling. Um, I do like kind of have an idea of what my week is going to be and talk through it with her a little bit, tell her what my goals are for the week to where she can keep me accountable with that. Um, help me talk through things. Um, we worked through the book Uninvited together um, while doing all this other things. That was life-changing for me. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting ride. I have um, had a very winding path to get to where I'm at mentally, physically, emotionally, and she's been part of that journey. Hmm. So, okay. yeah. Well, that's interesting because, of course, coaching is um, like a one-on-one type of stuff, so it can be kind of pricey, but um, it sounds like it's been an investment that has really been worth it for you. It has, and she has. She makes sure that she prices it reasonably for people because otherwise I couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. But she's a person worth having in my life, and I'm very, very grateful for Kim. She's been a godsend to me. She's somebody that I can just talk to, talk through things with, mm-hmm. and that's something that I've, I've needed to be able to develop the ability to deal with things myself. Um, I've been the type of person with my personality where people like to deal with things for me because I I guess I exude this I need to be taken care of type. I'm very strong, but I don't know. Anyway, somehow people have always taken care of my problems for me. I've but I've gotten older and I'm taking care of them for myself now and she's helped me maneuver through that and be able to learn how to do all of those things um for me talk it through listen to what i'm thinking and and mm-hmm. then change my thinking to be the correct way because that is one of the things that with the learning disabilities that i have i can hear things and then i hear them but i apply them in my mind the way i think they're supposed to be and then i'm like that's not working and I'm like, oh, well, whatever. And I move on with my life, but I still don't have it. And so having somebody actually help me work through applying those things, life skills that I need to be able to be a functioning adult has really helped. So for someone who doesn't have a life coach, can friends provide that for one another, um, the, the same type of thing? Or does it need to be like a professional, you think? It really depends on the friends. Okay. Because you need somebody who's going to build you up and not tear you down. You need to have people in your life who can see the good as well as the bad and help you be able to focus on the good while working on the bad. Um, I am very good at focusing on the bad in me. Um, even though I'm positive, I can positively see all of the negatives in myself. And it's like, ay, ay, ay. I got so much to work on with myself and it's just, it's helpful to have that person. So if you have somebody in your life that is a wise individual who is in the word, um, 
a pastor, pastor's wife, somebody who can mentor you, who can get to know you and work with you on things. That I think is a key facet that every person needs. My problem is, is that, and it's not really a problem, but my parents are my pastor and pastor's wife. And that's a blessing, but it's also, it can be, they're very close to the issues. So it can be harder to get, they're not a third party to talk to about things. Like most people's pastors are a third party. So you can go and you can talk to them about things, but they're right there with me in whatever I'm going through. <laughs> so it's, they're not that third party. So that's why, ooh, that's why having a life coach is helpful to be, have that third party to talk to. I was in counseling before then and my counselor um, got a different job and I didn't pursue getting another one because Kim was able to take over and help me with a lot of the stuff that my counselor was helping me with. So, Okay. Um, I don't know if that even answered the question, but... It does. Um, and... Um, yeah, some of the things, yeah, sometimes it's really helpful to have a professional. But some of the things that professionals provide, I think people can provide. Um, yes. For example, um, I listen to Jordan Peterson sometimes. Okay. And um, I, I remember him talking about this. He said, you know, um, it's really helpful to ha ha when you just got so much going on in your head. It's just like this big mess. It's really helpful to have someone to just spill it all out and and then let them hear it and then repeat it back to you in like a summary fashion. And if they get it, it um, creates order for yourself because it's like, oh yeah, that's what I'm going through. And then instead of that mess, you got like it in a nutshell and you, and you might not have it solved, but um, you're emotional health is a little bit better because because you're mental you're more ordered mentally and yes. and um and that sounds a little bit like what a therapist would do you know actually it's amazing how it's helpful to sp speak it out loud and write it down hmm. and those two things have been some of the biggest help for me in dealing with emotional and physical i mean i was two and my dad almost died and there was a lot of emotional stuff that ha was affecting me um, that I didn't even realize until I started reading his book, which I need to start that. I've got to finish. I think I'm the only one out of the seven of us who haven't read it yet. I need to do that. Um, but I couldn't at first. I had to deal with these emotional things first before I could read it. So, um, but to be able to say it out loud and be like that's really what I'm feeling that's kind of lame okay I shouldn't be feeling that you know but it's a real feeling and feelings are real mm -hmm. and to be but to be able to say it out loud and it's almost like you're putting it out there to where you can actually see what you're feeling to where then you can actually deal with what you're feeling instead of it just being this turmoil inside you that's billowing and billowing like big dark clouds that hmm. overwhelm. Right. Yeah. Well, I, guess, I guess just kind of in um, wrapping up, I'd just like to ask you about your walk with God, about um, do you have routines that's helpful for that? 
Or um, is there anything in particular that, um, you know, that really helps you in just being connected to God and, um, and that life with Him? Okay. Um, so one of the things that I'm committed to is being to church, unless I'm sick, every time the doors are open. Um, that gives me an ability to serve Him but also to hear God's word preached and to have that fellowship that's needed with other believers. So that's one of the things that I've been faithful in all, all of my life. Um, I almost walked away from God when I was in my 20s um, because of some disillusionment that I had with some things that I had been taught. And the only thing that kept me in... Wit- not walking away from God was that commitment of being in church. So that to me is a big deal. Um, the other thing is being in God's word. Um, that is, it's new every time you pick it up. There's something different that you can learn. That to me is important. I have struggled with my personal quiet time over the years. That's something that is one of the habits that I'm working on right now actually is building that back into my life every day. Um, cause I want to make sure that I am being fed by God through his word every day to where I have that walk with him to where I can grow and then memorizing his word. I think one of the other key things that kept me from walking with walking away from God was all of the scripture that my mom and dad had made sure that I had memorized from the time I was a little kid to where the Holy Spirit had that in me. I had it there for him to use, to convict me of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come to where he could draw me to himself through his love and his grace and his kindness and his, I guess, his rebuke even when I needed that too and make me to where I I could grow in him. And I could see the truth of the lies that I was believing about him and be able to believe the truth again about him. And so that I think is those being in his word, being in church, I think those two are key. One of the ways that we have, that God has given us through my dad is every Saturday we have a time where we get together during our family Bible reading and we give an account of Um, we get asked, how many days did you read? How many days did you write down and share one? And he asks every single person in the room. And so, um, I've just gotten this month started back into journaling my quiet time. Mm -hmm. That's something that I'd walked away from for a little while. And I'm okay with the fact that I did for a little bit. I think I needed that break. Um, I needed to be able to focus on some other things in my life that God was working with me on. But I know that it's time now to get back into that and have that next level with him. So that's what I'm doing, and I'm really glad for that. But to have that accountability every Saturday night to where we sit down and we share from our Bible reading with each other to where we're having that fellowship, even in our own home, of communicating what God has said and what he's doing in my life with other people to where we can encourage each other. We can be that provoking with each other that the Bible talks about. Is there anything in particular that gives you confidence in the Christian faith that um, it's it's not something that just adds to your life and gives you a path, but that it's abs- 
that it's really the truth about who God is, the way the world is and stuff. Anything in particular um, that you kind of ground that in as far as confidence? When I was 14, I um, was a summer missionary and I was really young. (laughs) I didn't know what I was getting myself into and I was so overwhelmed. And my best friend at the time pulled me aside and she said, Esther, God gave me a scripture for you this morning in my Bible reading, and I would like to give it to you. And it's Isaiah 41:10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And that has been my life verse since then. That has been something that I'm going through something, and I'm like, you know what, God? And I believe if David can do it, I can do it this really stinks. I don't think you're doing your job, you know? And I tell God how I really feel. David did it and he didn't get, he was called man after God's own heart. So I figure I should be as honest with with God as David was. Mm -hmm. So I just, I tell him and he always brings me back. Fear thou not for I am with thee. Be not dismayed for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And then focusing on what my job is. I'm not supposed to fear. I'm not supposed to be dismayed. And God's got the rest of it. So just focusing on what I have to do and letting God do what he has to do has been something that has really, really helped me. Um, I think that answered your question. Okay. I don't know. So just um, the experience you've had with God of him upholding you and stuff, it's like that's what gives you confidence in the... The other thing is, is I know without a shadow of a doubt that I am a Christian. I know without a shadow of a doubt that when I believed on Jesus as my Savior as a four-year-old, I was saved just as much as somebody who was 60 who got saved and has done way more sins. I, My sin that convicted me that, need, that I needed to be saved was I ran in church when my mom had told me not to, and I was the worst sinner on earth. But I have never doubted that. I've never doubted the fact that Jesus 100% saved me that day from my sin, no matter what I do. And to be grounded in that. And the other thing that, that keeps me that I just I keep coming back to and keep coming back to that goes through my head is something that my mom said to us when we were younger everything that we need for life and for godliness is in God's word everything that I need is in God's word everything and that that just kind of plays in my head and gives me that confidence that he's there for me no matter what he the world can fall apart I'm watching my sister walk through some really dark waters right now in her own personal life and not like she's not committing suicide or anything. She's a COVID. She's dealt with a lot of COVID being working in the COVID ICU and, and some things like that. And God is just, well, she's just been hit with a lot this last week. Um, but last night as I was talking to her, she just kept saying, but I know that God is with me, but I know that God is going to be there for me, but I know, and she just kept going back to that and having that fellowship with someone too, I think can give you that confidence to be secure in that, who God is, what he does, and he's not going to change. He can't. There's another verse that goes through my head a lot. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that 
he should repent. This is going to be the Esther version, so yeah, don't quote it. Um, hath he said and shall he not do it, or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? And those two verses have been where my confidence has lied because he just pops that back in my head when I start doubting him and I start questioning, is this even real? Am I really supposed to be doing this with my life? My God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of a man that he should repent. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. You know, just, and those then just start giving me that focus that I need. Mm-hmm. You mentioned church and, um, so, you know, as being a part of what's important to you. And I know my friends and things like that, with COVID, them being apart from church, sometimes I hear, <laughs> I hear them expressing, um, you know, that longing for church. But for me, like, what encourages me is not so much like church, because that's almost like too... Uh, too um, passive or something you know i don't know uh, it's you're you're kind of sitting in a pew and you're listening and um so for me it, it might be more of um you know personal time just kind of reading the scriptures thinking journaling sharing that with my family um conversations like this and my pastor we've been um he's an excellent teacher bible teacher and we've we've been there but we've been there for about since Gracie was born, a little before that. Okay. So a good while. So I've been listening to him every week, you know, for a long time. Now, your pastor's your dad, so you listen to him <laughs> even a lot more. But, every day. Yeah. So so when I'm during the sermon time, a lot of times it's like I'm just, and I know what's being said, and I've heard it quite a bit. So I'm, I'm kind of tuning out a little bit. I might be looking at the Bible. I might be journaling a little bit. Um, but it's just, church is not like a meaningful thing to me. It's more of relating to other people and um, more than the congregational type of setting. So for you, is it still meaningful? Um, and uh, like listening to your dad, uh, is that still... Um, uh, Meaningful? Do you get things out of it and so forth? So, you know, any thoughts on any of that? <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. okay. Um, so I, I've done a lot in my life. Here we go again. Um, I moved to Nebraska for nine months and took care of my grandmother um, until about a month before she passed away. And during that time, I went to a church in Nebraska, Grand Island area, and um, there was some controversy. There were some things going on in the church. They were having to do some church discipline, and I kind of got myself caught in the middle of it because of some family situations that were going on, too. And um, I called. I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, I'm going to leave this church. I'm not getting fed and blah, 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 and just, you know, ragging on the church to him. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me. Well, he didn't look at me. He probably wanted to look at me, but I was in Nebraska. Anyway, so I remember him saying, Esther, what are you giving back? And it was just like a bucket of cold water had just been thrown on my head. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. He's right. And my heart was in the wrong place. And I realized that where we serve, where we give, that's where our heart's going to be. Hmm. So I 
went to my pastor and the pastor there in Nebraska and told him and his wife, I want to serve. I've got these responsibilities with my grandma that I've got to be there. That's ultimately what I have to do. But I would like to help here in the church however I can. And so they got me involved. I wasn't a member there. I kept my membership here in St. Louis. But they allowed me to serve in the church. Mm -hmm. And when I left there, they had to replace me in different things that I was doing. And I had a relationship with my pastor there. And I had a relationship with people in the church. And that made it to where it was meaningful again to Mm -hmm. me. It wasn't just warming a seat in the church, Mm -hmm. you know, which was what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because thinking back on it now, I specifically chose to go to that church because I knew that I could serve in it without having to run everything. Because there was another church that I had visited and I knew if I went there, I would be, there was way too much to do and it would just drive me crazy. So I decided not to go there on purpose. But that has affected I think a lot that attitude has been very prevalent is to go and to give to be a giver at church to go and to serve not to expect to get because when you give you end up getting way more and so being an active participant in what's happening in the church Mm -hmm. and that is when you're going to get more out of it Right. and you're going to hear from God more you're going to be more willing to sit there and listen. Sometimes you're just like, oh my word, I've heard this message how many times, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and not really, because it's new every time. Right. Dad, yeah. he'll be like, yeah, I preached on, from this passage, blah, blah, blah. But, and then you're like, yeah, but that is not what you said before. This is really good, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but having that heart, do I do that every week? No. I wish I could say yes, but there are weeks when I'm just like, you know, and just have a a bad attitude. I take a bad attitude with me to church Mm -hmm. and that's not good. And then I get convicted and get my attitude right. But I think sitting there and hearing even my dad is teaching some things that he's been, that he hasn't taught for a long time at church. Um, about first-generation Christianity, um, where each person has to decide to be that first-generation Christian, not just hanging mm-hmm. onto the coattails of your parents or grandparents or the generation mm-hmm. before you, but making that relationship with Jesus yours personally. And so he's teaching back through that. And that, to me, is very important because that was a decision that I made as a teenager, that I was going to be a first-generation Christian. So having all of that refreshed in my mind has been really, really good. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just that, that could be something I've heard so many times over the years and could be like, oh, my word, this again. But at the same time, no, because it's new and it's fresh and it's exciting and he's applying it in different ways. And, you know, so being able to right. sit there because of serving because of giving because of doing that has helped me have the right heart attitude right. with approaching it mm-hmm. so that's my thought on yeah. on that because otherwise it does get really stale and I, I can totally see that and mm-hmm. but yeah I, I missed everybody at church so much especially yeah. the little kids but yeah. anyway all right well thanks Esther that was really good I appreciate your response to that last question 
And thanks for the conversation in general. There's a lot there to Thank you. re-listen to and to think about. So I appreciate it. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life. Thank you.